Today on the Made For More podcast, I am meeting with a guest, Oliver Jackson, who is the CEO and founder of Living Property. Living Property is a buyer's agent who focus on value-add investment properties Australia-wide, whether that's through renovation, subdivision, or development. Oliver started his business after spending a decade in the construction industry and building his own multi-million dollar portfolio using his very own strategy. Living Property was organically created out of hard work, love, and passion for property. Outside of work, Oliver is a father to a four-year-old twins, a plant-based athlete athlete who trains a lot and possibly a little too much in his words. He's currently training for an Ironman, an ultra marathon, and does lots of yoga and meditation to keep his body and mind in alignment. You can find the show notes for today's show on uh, madeformore.com.au forward slash 16. This episode is quite the journey. So strap in. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. And uh, did I also mention that Oliver used to be part of a circus? Jump right in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Made For More podcast. Today, I'm talking with a very interesting and inspiring guest. I've got Oliver Jackson here with me. Strap in, buckle up. This is going to be an absolute beauty. Thank you, Oliver. It's so great to have you here. Excellent. Now you put me under some pressure here, but thanks for having me. I better be exciting. <laughs> you are. You're very exciting. We were just talking before I hit record and I am very excited to unpack your journey and uh, where you've come from to where you're going. And on that note, tell me a little bit around how you came to be. You know, where did you start out? Well, I grew up in Canberra, which sounds pretty boring, <laughs> but I actually grew up in a circus. Yes, you did. We can dive a little bit into that if you yes, like. Yes, tell me what it is like growing up in a circus. This is every child's dream. It literally is and it was like, I can't explain what it's like. It's literally like every dream you could ever imagine. So I grew up in a normal family, went to a normal school and the circus was like my second family. So we used to travel with them on school holidays and weekends and still to this day, I still get in there and go on the trapeze and the trampoline whenever I can. You know, when I was young, I used to swim with elephants in, let's say we'd end up in the middle of New South Wales somewhere. We'd go swimming in a river with the elephants. It was tiger cubs. Uh, One of the clowns was a drunk midget. He used to scare the shit out of me when I was about 10 years old. (laughs) Like it was all that crazy stuff, helping putting up the tent, performing in the show. Uh, It was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing childhood, I have to admit. Yeah, it sounds absolutely wild. And you mentioned about the trapeze and the trampoline. Is that your go-to trick? Mm, no, I'm no good at it. All right. Um, <laughs> but it's Just fun. Just really like it. I, yeah. good at, I used to be good at juggling, a bit of handstands. But yeah, no, I, I used to go on the trapeze, but I was definitely no master. <laughs> right. 
That's absolutely amazing. I remember as a little girl actually going to the circus and all I wanted to do was, you know, run, literally run away with the circus. It sounded so fun and mysterious and uh, the carnival life seemed like a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea when you're six or seven. So tell me a little bit more around, you know, you were, grew up mainstream, but also on the weekends joined a circus. Tell me a little bit more about how that progressed into where you are today. So I always had a pretty crazy, I guess, outlook on life. My parents were pretty middle class, normal. I think I rebelled a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure if I learned that because I had two older brothers who used to pick on me. It was my way of getting away from them. Right. Or the circus, you know, I had a lot of freedom, obviously, there. That's why I used to love going there and traveling. So I enjoyed freedom. And when my mum was strict on me, I uh, think I did anything possible to get away with doing whatever I wanted to do. Right. I finished year 12, surprisingly, but I spent most of most of school chasing girls and getting drunk and yep. having little side hustle businesses. I used to sell a whole, whole lot of stuff, computer games. And yeah, I always just thought about business, not so much education. Right. Bit I of love, that different entrepreneurial mindset. There. Yeah. Like I had a, a lolly selling business when I was about six or seven in primary school. Yeah. I used to buy lollies and then take them to school and sell them and then go buy more lollies. So I get free lollies for myself. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Not yeah. like licked lollies though. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I had a good running clean business there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so I always had an entrepreneurial side and like I was really good at photography and maths and sport. So the maths was obviously good for the business side of things. I've always been quite creative with English, even though I taught myself to read after school. During school? Not really. Like I was kind of dyslexic. I am a dyslexic, I guess. Like I love creative writing and I write well. I'm just a terrible speller. Mm -hmm. At school, I just avoided reading anything possible and taught myself to read in my mid-20s properly. The first book I read was Shantaram, which is 1,100 pages. (laughs) Wow. Just start, ease into it, you think? Yeah, it was fascinating. That's what hooked me on reading though. That one book was just mind-blowing for me the story. So from there, I've, I read now probably three to four books every single week and have for years. Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, it's never too late to learn how to read, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, well, as they say, that's amazing. And we'll get into a little bit of how you ended up reading your very first book from cover to cover. In we'll, we'll go into it right now. So tell me, you had a pretty fun time in your late teens, partying, living your best life. Then what happened? Yeah, so I, I took the party maybe a little bit too far. Uh, I ended up in prison in my, I think I was about 26, 25. Like I was right. partying, selling drugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, feed the, I wouldn't call it a habit because I was never like addicted to it. It was just to, to feed the lifestyle. Yeah. So when I, the first day when I woke up in prison, it was like, yeah, this has got to change. Yeah. Uh, so it took getting to prison as your reality, reality yeah. slap, so to speak, to say like, okay, I can mm. do better, be better. Yeah, it's a lifestyle that when you're in it, you're like, oh, no, I'm done now. But you can, it's very hard to get out of because mm. um, it's fun yeah. and you're young and you never think, you never think oh, I'm going to be you know, 40 with kids. You always think I'm going to be 25 forever. Yeah. Um, and then when I woke up there, I read Shantaram, which is actually about a guy who was, was in prison and then escaped to help people in India. And that kind of uh, was like a really big reality check. I was like, okay, I've got to sort this out. Yeah. 
So tell me when you woke up there that first morning and you're like, oh dear, like I need to, I need to do something. And we were talking a little bit about this before I hit record as well. So tell me, you know, what that was like, what was, I guess the first step is you started reading that book, but there must've been some kind of decision that you made that first morning or even that first week where you're like, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. What was the first trigger that got set you on your path? The first thing I did was find the biggest, baddest Islander I've ever seen in my life and right. make, friend, make friends with him. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Nico, Nico, I love you. We're still friends to this day. So first it was risk mitigation. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have a bad experience in there. And then after that, I kind of had time to settle in and just, I guess I just focused on myself. So like when you're locked in a self 18 hours a day, it sounds horrible, but it's actually better than being not locked in like out in the yeah. yard because that's yeah. when it's you feel threat and you're yeah. constantly on edge and it's, it's draining yeah. so when you're when i was in there i just worked on myself 100 percent. a lot of meditation a lot of reading did weird stuff like made teddy bears learned poetry learned how to draw played guitar yeah. like just fully dialed in on myself and it just that lifestyle just didn't align anymore yeah right so you were in prison for how long two years two years so in that two-year time you've literally turned your life around so you woke up on the first morning we're like you know a bit of risk mitigation absolutely important when you're faced with any kind of existential crisis and then you started going okay well how can I make the best of this situation that I'm in and instead of turning outwardly started looking inwardly around you know the meditation and the reading and, and doing things that you hadn't ever done before making teddies you know that's probably something you never thought that you would do in your lifetime and perhaps you'll never do it again but it's a skill that you've now gained so tell me after those two years then what happened and, and where are you now? So the whole process from start to finish of that journey was seven and a half years from yeah. when I was caught to when I'd finished my parole. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite a long process. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot happens. A lot, a lot changed. So when I got out, I had two and a half years where I was on, they call it parole, mm-hmm. which is very, very hard. I think there's about an 85% rate of people reoffending or because yeah, wow. parole is quite hard. Yeah. So if you miss a meeting, you go back in like, so I had a job, I got a job in a restaurant mm-hmm. and I literally said to the boss, look, I'm on parole. I have to go to meetings. If they call me at 10 o'clock, I have to go. Yeah. Like I was very straight up. A lot of people don't have that. They, they work in a factory and they can't tell anyone. Yeah. Otherwise they won't have a job. So yeah. it's quite hard. I'm very organized, very structured. I'm very hardworking. So well, my boss was fine with that, which really yeah. helped with my transition. Yeah. And I got out of jail pretty much bankrupt. Legal bills were massive. So I had a lot of work to do and I think I spent the next probably five years just trying to prove myself to, I think I was trying to prove myself to other people that I could rebuild my life, which yeah. in the future actually ended my marriage because I worked too hard and tried uh-huh. to build, I built a $4 million property portfolio within about four years of getting out. Yeah. Amazing. I kept working and working. I was making three, 400 grand a year, yep. which sounds great, but I wasn't spending much time with my wife didn't see my yep. kids much. So the, the, the need to have to show people that I could change my life, I think I took it too far, yeah. which is what I really focus on now is I've dialed it right back. Yeah. Like the care for other people is very minimal. I just yeah. want to try and help people with my story yeah. and kind of show how I got through that part of my life. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing such, you know, I guess a low point in your life and how it's turned around. I think that that's amazing. And it shows, you know, the resilience that people can build up over time and what you can actually do to completely turn your life around. Tell me a little bit around, I know that you said you're hard work, hardworking and structured. So tell me a little bit more around your structure and your routine, your morning routine. Oh, my morning routine is crazy. Even before I went to jail, I had a very pretty good routine like now it's wake up around four thirty-five o'clock yep i do pranayama breathing meditation yep at the moment i'm training for a triathlon so i do a lot of riding a lot of running a lot of yoga i eat i'm plant-based so i have a lot of i've got to eat a lot of food because i do between two and five hours of exercise a day yeah wow so i have to really plan my meals i have crazy smoothies that have like 17 ingredients in them yeah <laughs> so in between each exercise section I have to eat then leave enough time for the next section and then yep. if you're trying to do breath work with too much food you feel sick yeah. so my morning routine's probably about three and a half hours yeah wow and probably has been for about a decade yeah like when I was in construction I used to wake up at four o'clock go to the gym so I could get to work at six thirty. yeah so yeah I think morning routine and setting your day is the most important thing I've everything done before anyone's even woken up yeah. I think a lot of people try and leave later and then they're getting distracted. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And I, um, I get great personal satisfaction out of starting my day before anyone else has started their day and get all of my things done. And I think it is such a good way to, I guess, such a good habit to get into for yourself if you're wanting to be super disciplined, get a lot done, achieve a lot. So you run a business at the moment. So tell me about your current business. It's called Living Property. So yeah. we're a buyer's agency. We buy property Australia-wide. We focus on value add, so renovation, subdivision development. Yep. So basically, I'm just helping my clients do exactly what I did. Yeah. To build my wealth. Yeah. And I think that's amazing what you're doing. And it's really interesting. We mentioned, or you mentioned earlier, you've always had that entrepreneurial mindset from, you know, selling lollies at school to whatever video games uh, later on in life to the drugs later on. And then you've always been building businesses. Are there any other businesses that you've built? And tell me more about that. Yeah. I had a PT business in my mid twenties for a few years, which kind of, I loved, but I kind of didn't because I, I think I, I'm very driven and very dedicated and not everyone else is. Ah. <laughs> and when you're a PT, it's usually with people that aren't as dedicated and it frustrated me. Yeah, right. It's like, well, if you want to fit into that dress or you want to be this big or you want that, then I'm helping you do it, do it. But people don't have the resilience or the dedication to actually do it. They think they want it, but they don't actually, their why maybe isn't strong enough. Yeah. And that frustrated me. Yeah. And then I had a cafe for a few years, which I ended up donating to charity to repent for my sins, (laughs) I guess you could say. Right. I was in hospitality on and off for probably 15 years. Yeah. Um, Roasting coffee. Um, barista I ended up cooking in my in my cafe working in hospitality and owning a cafe is relentless yeah you know you, you do 100 hours a week and you get you know it's hard work it's brutal yeah. to be honest yeah. so when I got back out and went back into into the hospitality industry I was like I need to go construction in Melbourne at the time even now was that's where the money's at basically yeah. <laughs> not in in hospitality. Yeah. So I, I went to the construction industry, which is the most hardest work I've ever done in my life, but it set me up for where I am now. 
Yeah. And I think your entire, your entire story, which is so, so, so fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's the things that people only dream of and, and can imagine. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how resilience keeps popping up for you time and time again. And you've obviously built resilience over time. So tell me, you know, have you recognized that you're building it? How are you cultivating resilience in yourself? How do you teach it? Tell, talk to me about resilience. I don't think you can read or teach learn resilience at all. If someone tells you that they're a resilience coach, then they're full of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not possible. You can, people can teach you how to see things from a different angle and get past things. Yeah. This is the way, this is the way, like I have a coach who's had a similar life to me. He's a bit older than me. And he's like, well, this is, this is a good way to look at it, but he can't go. It's like the, PT. It's like you can't just tell someone how to do it. Yeah. You have to fail. You have to hit rock bottom and get your way through it yeah. to build that resilience. Yeah. And I've just been through a divorce earlier this year after a 10-year marriage. Yeah. And that was probably the hardest thing I've been through. But the resilience yeah. I had probably didn't make it as hard for me as it would have been for other people. Yeah. You know, then obviously when uh, COVID hit, it's like, oh, there's this pandemic, everyone's freaking out. And I was like, this is nothing. Like, yeah. It's not ideal. And I yeah. feel sorry for people. Yeah. But it's like you've just got to pivot, learn how to deal with it and get through it. Yeah. I've got a lot more time to work on myself now and hang out with my kids. It's great. Like, yeah. I, don't drive, I don't have to drive anywhere. Yeah. So I see the, the benefits of it and, and use my past to get me through things like, like COVID or a divorce. Yeah, right. So what I'm hearing you say is around the more that we have to practice resilience, the better that we get at it. And then people that haven't had to have or deal with such tragic situations or difficult situations, COVID has been, you know, 2020 has been a real, a real doozy of a year for sure. And I think the people that have already faced adversity in the past and have had to stand back up again, so to speak, really having, having a different perspective on what this year has meant. And similar to you, I know that there are a lot of people that have spent this year actually going, okay, well, here's the situation that we're in. How can I make the best of a bad thing? Yes, I'm locked at home. What can I be doing while I'm locked at home? And you've actually decided to embark on a few of your own personal challenges. So Mm -hmm. tell me what you're currently training for at the moment. Yeah, this has honestly been the best year of my life. So, and I'm still, I'm in Melbourne uh, yeah. it's what is it October and we're still yeah. in stage four lockdown so I can't this is believe that this when is, you said that <laughs> this is eight months of lockdown which people say we're locked down and we've got curfews try going to prison yeah when I, was, when I was 25 I had a three a curfew for three years at 10 p.m when I was yeah. out like yeah. this is nothing anyway so basically when COVID started in March I just started training for a marathon for charity yeah and then obviously that kept getting pushed back because of the lockdown. So I decided to take it to the next level to do an ultra marathon, which is a hundred kilometers. Yeah. And now it's turned into that and an, an Ironman, which yep. I'm training for in September. So I've gone from running, you know, I haven't run in 12 years, haven't ridden a road bike ever in my life and haven't swum a lap ever. Yeah. Training 25 hours a week, seven days. Yeah. My house looks like a fitness first. No. <laughs> I, nice. Uh, I live in a top of a mountain, so I do a lot of hill running. Yeah. But I'm doing all this stuff for charity to show awareness that, yeah, I'm 38. I spent 20 years of my life getting off my face. Yeah. I've got four-year-old twins that I have 50% of the time. I run a business. Yeah. There's no excuses. You can do yeah. it. Yeah. And 
the training and the routine that I have is the one thing that has got me through all of my struggles through my whole life. Yeah. And I think that that's amazing that you've um, stuck to it and recognized that. And then you, you know, you're doing even more for charity. What I'm really curious about is how do you do, how do you practice swimming right now? Well, the pool opened two days ago. Oh. <laughs> so I've been swimming for two days. Yeah, right. But there's a machine called a swimmerg. So it's kind of like a rower, but it's for swimming. Oh, no, I've only ever heard but of a ski erg, but I want to know yeah, about this swim erg. There's no water involved, oh. but I've been swimming in the pool for two days now. I'm actually not that bad. So, oh, nice. but I have a lot of, I got a lot of work to do. Nice. And I only get 45 minutes. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. Yep. So you've got to be really uh, committed to what the work that you do during the time that you have. Yes. I have a very good coach, triathlon yeah. coach. He's, he's professional. He's very, very good. Very cool. And also at the beginning of the year, you decided to cut out a lot of uh, junk in your mm-hmm. diet. Tell me a little bit around that and the impact that that's had. Yeah. So I've, I've done a lot of research. Like before uh, this, I did a lot of CrossFit, which is a lot of paleo, a lot of meat, like a high fat kind of diet. <clears throat> yeah. Then I started doing the running. I read a book called Finding Ultra by Rich Roll and he's a vegan uh, ultra marathon and Ironman, one of the best in the world. So I <clears throat> felt like I was drinking beer, eating burgers, and then trying to run 30Ks. Didn't make sense. Yeah. So I, I did 30 days, no sugar, no drugs, no alcohol, went fully plant-based and no coffee because the coffee and the dehydration was dehydrating me too much through my run. Mm-hmm. So I did 30 days and that was eight months ago. Yeah. I haven't had anything... I'm fully plant-based now yeah, and I haven't had any drugs, any alcohol, any sugar, any coffee. Yeah. And I don't think I ever will, to be honest. That's amazing. My recovery, my inflammation in my body's gone down. My recovery is amazing. My sleep's better than it's ever been. Yeah. I'm training more than I ever have in my life. Yeah. That's so incredible. And you quit everything on the same day? Yep. So tell me a little bit around that. You just decided, like read Finding Ultra and then, and then decided that, yes, I, I don't need these things in my life anymore or how was that process? So at the time I was living with a friend and I was like, I'm moving to the hills. It's about an hour out of Melbourne. I live in a national park. I'm like, I'm moving to the hills. And the day, I think it was like the 12th of it was Feb, March, that day I'm quitting everything for 30 days. Yeah. And I live in an amazing house and haven't touched any of it since. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's like that song, I'm moving to the country and going to eat a lot of peaches and <laughs> the hills and you're going to eat a lot of veggies. I think that's incredible. And you also just mentioned around how sleep is so, how much your sleep's improved. And we were talking before I hit record around like the power down routine mm-hmm. that I use. Tell me a little bit around your power down routine. I think it's not quite as well known as a morning routine, but I would almost mm-hmm. go so far as to say it's more important than 100%. a morning routine in this day and age. So tell me about yours. There's no point in having a morning routine if you have bad sleep. That's right. So I don't own a TV and I haven't for years. One, because I don't want to fill my brain with crap. If I want to watch something and I watch it on my computer, then it's one, it's smaller. It's not as nice to watch. You're not going to watch 14 episodes of Desperate Housewives because your eyes get sore. Yeah. So I don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of books. I don't try and use, I have blue blocker glasses. I try not to have lights on. Yeah. I don't use my phone for an hour or two before bed. I go to bed pretty early, like yeah. 8.30, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Well, you're up at 4.30, so, you know, that's yeah. not. And I wind down and meditate before I sleep. I think, I honestly, I read a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, mm-hmm. which literally changed my whole life. We sleep. It's, it 
talks about how alcohol and coffee and everything, how much it really does affect your sleep mm. and affecting your sleep means you're, you will not live a healthy life. Mm. Like it's going to, you'll, you'll deteriorate so much quickly. Mm. So if you want to do a lot of training, eat plant-based and then not sleep, probably doesn't make sense. So everything has to align. Yeah. So yeah. 100% agree with the power down. Yeah. I'm a big power downer only because I've got four young children and have spent a very long time in that sleep deprivation phase. Like I've really tested <laughs> how little sleep I can function on and turns out I can't function as well as what I thought I could, but it ends up, you kind of end up in this, in this placebo effect where you think you're highly functioning, but you're also, you know, pouring milk in the dishwasher and doing all sorts, <laughs> of, all sorts of weird stuff. So yes, I'm always looking for sleep hacks because I think that, yeah, we need to get better, need to get better at it and put more intention into the way that we sleep and, and create healthy sleep habits. I'm still working on my kids, but yes, I think, you know, work on what you've got with what you have at the moment. Freak, that book will freak you out. It's, yeah, I'm going to read it. I've everyone should read it. it down. Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I'll put the um, details in the show notes as well. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because you've said you read quite a, quite a bit. What mm-hmm. would be your top five books for leaders around, you know, resilience. I know you can't teach resilience. You have to kind of practice it and learn it and and recover from it. But what would be, you know, what have sort of been the most impactful books that you've read so far? Number one book ever, I'd say would be The Surrender Experiment by Michael S. Singer. Yeah. Atomic Habits. Yep. The One Thing. Yep. The Book of Joy. Yeah. And The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Oh, yeah. How good is that? Very good. But all Raman Sharma books are good, actually. Yeah. Oh, man, I could go on for days. I'd, I'd, I'd seriously believe the surrender experiment's the life changer. Yeah. The surrender experiment. Experiment. Yeah, all good. Thank you. I'll put those in the show notes as well for any of our listeners who want to tune in and get their nose in a book because I think that it's always uh, really interesting to hear around what other people have have gone towards in terms of, you know, what it is that's had the biggest impact on them over time. I've absolutely uh, loved our conversation today. I think we've gone, we've gone far, we've gone deep, we've gone wide, we've gone on so many tangents. And I think that your life is absolutely miraculous. And I wanted to thank you again for sharing your story. I think it shows a lot of courage and vulnerability to be able to share, you know, your lowest point and then the way that you've actually turned your life around in, in, in what's a really short amount of time and how you're going on to teach others how to do that. And I think that that's really important to acknowledge you know yes you've come from somewhere and this is where you're going and I think you are absolutely someone who can inspire other people who are having a really hard time right now to turn around their lives and uh, start focusing on what it is that they want before we say goodbye did you have any tips you wanted to leave any of our listeners get healthy (laughs) healthy love it sleep properly yeah look after the planet and yourself Love it. Well, thank you so much, Oliver. This has been absolutely wonderful and I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali.madeformore on facebook and instagram 
I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.